Um, we're continuing to answer this question. If the Bible and Christians have these answers, if the Bible has these answers, right, why are things not getting better? Now, you're going to have some Christians who are fatalistic in their mind. They're going to say, well, you know, things aren't supposed to get better. It's supposed to be hard. I mean, really, that's a legitimate. They were, I, I was brought up in that way that, you know, well, we really can't expect things to get better. You know, things are going to get worse, and we've just got to. On some level, that's true because there are always going to be unbelievers in the world, right? The devil's always going to have his people he's working through in the world. So the, what does it then become? Well, the idea then is what we we're saying, though, if we don't think it could ever get better, aren't we really? And I'm asking now, not telling you what to think. Aren't we saying God's not powerful enough to invoke a change through his people? I don't want to be accused of saying that about him. I'm not going to be accused of saying that about him. Now, you know, I don't know. Others can say what they want to say. I have to believe that when he said light, he means a visible change. He didn't say information. You understand the difference? Jesus it talked of light. John, when he wrote, he said, in the beginning was Jesus. He said he was the light of the world, right? What does that mean? That means something you can see. He didn't say, oh, he was the information come to the world about how to get saved. No, but really people confuse it because they think, oh, well, it's information. Yes, it is information, but it manifests in a visible way that's powerful, like light. When you're in a sea of darkness, that little match struck becomes significant. A match in total darkness would light up the whole room enough for you to get around. It really would. And it, it's, it's not by accident that it's a visible symbol he uses, light. He could have just said, well, you know, he sent letters and it was information. And he did send letters and it is information. It's in the Bible, right? It's canonized in the Bible. But the point being is it's visible. So in the eyes of someone who's looking, things should get better. Now, maybe not to somebody who's not looking. But in the eyes of somebody who's looking, these answers will cause light. They will cause things to become better, right? Now, if you're having to think hard about this, I'm not going to incriminate you, but I'm just going to say you're not experiencing this like you should. If you are experiencing it like you should, you're going, yep, that's it. Makes sense. Perfect. Happens all the time, right? So again, I'm not trying to incriminate you. I'm just saying you need to get on the ball if you're having to think about this and, and if it's causing, uh, because uh, in pockets, this is borne out every day of the week, 24-7 for somebody. The favor of God in their lives. Right? I don't mean the favor of the world. The world, the spirit of the world has its own favor. When you do things according to the pattern of the world, you're rewarded, okay? And I'm just going to shoot straight with you. Many in the body of Christ do things right along according to the pattern of the world, and they're rewarded, and then they turn around to everybody and say, God just blesses me. We're just so blessed. Listen, they either believe it or they know it's not true, but they call themselves a Christian, so they have to give thanks to God because otherwise they'd have to give thanks to the world. Right? And I find that most of them don't know. They really believe that, that God's doing it. 
because they confess Christ, they think, well, God must be overruling all the other right stuff I'm doing according to the world, right? And ultimately, it's God. But we know the world blesses their own. Jesus said it, didn't he? He said, if you were of the world, they'd love you. He said it. He said, if you were with them, they'd love you. What that means is they're going to give you a job. They're going to take care of you no matter what happens. They're going to make sure that the best they can that you prosper, right? If you go along with them, they're going to do those things, right? He said, but as it is, you're with me, and they persecuted me, and they killed me, so that's what they're going to try to do to you. So it's important to differentiate the world taking care of its own and the Lord taking care of his own and the mixture of the church that's still very connected to the world being blessed by the world and saying it's God. Because that's an illusion that draws people to the world side. When the world, the, you know, there's, there's only one spirit of the world, right? He's called the prince of the powers of the air. You know who that is, right? A lot of, a lot of fence sitters want to believe that you can be in the middle and you can pretty much like Jesus, but still kind of. But the Bible never says that. The Bible only speaks of the children of God and the children of Belial. That's it. It doesn't talk of any middle people. So we tend to have our own religion. We tend to create our own tree based on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, us being our own God. And we like to believe that there's this middle ground you can be in that can pull from Jesus when necessary but still be over here. But that's false. That's a deception. That's the great lie. Right? I'm not saying, mind you, I've not mentioned sin. I'm talking about what you draw from, what you worship, what your heart desires, okay? What you see as your source, right? Because none of us are going to be perfect and not miss it. That doesn't put you in one camp or the other. We talked about that last week. What puts you in one camp or the other is who do you adore? Who do you worship, you know? That's the way Jesus talked. And who you worship is who you serve. <laughs> right? And there's no gray area in who you worship is who you serve. Right? And again, not that you can't miss the mark, but who overall do you serve? Who is your heart bent towards? Who are you listening to? You know, it's funny. The Bible boils it down really to regard. Who do you regard? Before you make a decision, who do you ask first? Do you ask the world or do you ask God? When something really good happens in your life, who do you thank first? You thank all your friends and your boss and everybody that did it for you? Or do you stop right first in your heart and say, God, thank you, you did this? Yes. See, it's really in a person. It's in a person, you know? Um, so that being said, let's look at it. What, we, what I suggested to everybody is that lack of organization under the fivefold ministry is what's causing the answers that are in Scripture to not become light and make change overall, right? And so we, I'd like to continue along that line. I feel like that's the, the, where the Lord sent me with it. So I want, I want to continue that with you. And... Um, 
it's, it's, man, I'm telling you, I'm trying to be flexible. There's so many notes in both notebooks, I don't even know where to go. So I feel like if the Lord senses a thought in anybody's mind that needs to be dealt with, he'll let me know. So I may go back, all right? Or if he, if he's, if he, and that could include, you know, somebody listening on the live stream as well. So I want to be very flexible so that if he says somebody missed that, we need to go back and we need to build the foundation better. Because I'm going to try to just go over the top because I know most of you in here know scripture. So I don't want to sit there and detail everything and make it monotonous. But we may need to do something. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. So it's hard to put together a framework because if I literally put together a framework that outlined everything, this thing would take two months. And I don't think we have two months to spend on this because there are other things to go to, <laughs> quite honestly. Now, if I just wanted to have messages to tide you guys over for two months, that would be the way to do it. But that's not really what, literally what we're trying to do. We want everybody to get, to get an understanding so they find it on their own. And if you want more of it, go get it. And we'll move on to what the Holy Spirit is trying to accomplish, right? So, so let's look at it that way, um, if we can. So lack of fivefold organization. And remember, fivefold is kind of like a slang term because there's no word for this in the Bible, really. These are five offices that are mentioned, but God doesn't say these are the fivefold ministries, you know, but they're detailed as five overall, right? And so you have to call stuff something. It's like Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it's three. And in our case, with God, it's three in one, right? So we say Trinity to allude to something without having to describe the whole thing, right? And so fivefold ministry, I'm talking about offices of, and you know what they are, right? Let's start, let's start like in line, like in Ephesians 4.11, if we could. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, I'm not saying that's, that's in order of preeminence. But what I'm saying, that's the order that, that's given, okay? And so let's continue to look at that um, as we can. So five, five of them. Now, you'll know from your experience the ones... Most people in this room, if you grew up, let's say, in church, because there's no such thing as in church. There's in Christ, and you may go to what people say, go to church, which, again, is no such thing because you are the church. Wherever the church meets, I guess we could say we're at church, but not really. We are church. We're just gathered, right? So we have to distinguish those things in our heart, even though we, we might say in church so that the majority of people understand us. That makes sense? So if you hear me say in church, understand, I know the difference, but I also know that a lot of people consider it at church or in church being at a place, what we would say gathered, right? Okay, so that being the case, let's, let's begin to look at this. Um, you grew up in a church, and most people today in the United States are not taught that there are still apostles. Nod your head if that's true. Okay. All right, but we know now, we know now that in Ephesians 4, 11, it says that these five offices are given until, what does that mean? It's not going to stop till a certain point. They're given until, right? Until what? Until the church comes to the unity of faith. They're given until. So what does that mean? Just if you just read Scripture without revelation at all, 
If you just did a study and read that, what would that lead you to understand? They are not gone. Because, again, I can prove in so many ways just by driving in front of churches that we don't have the unity of faith because I can show you the divisions that are proudly displayed on the sign. Right? We want, guys, men are creatures that want to create their own religion. We really want to create our own God. We really want to create our ways to honor God, right? And we do it. It's a, guys, it doesn't matter what we want to do. God has done this. It's set. If we don't monkey with it, it'll work. But all of our divisions and all of our little ideas and everything we try to do to make it easier, to make it better, we are going further away from who He is. And it breaks down the unity of a body of a man on earth called Christ, called being in Christ. Right? And again, we don't want to incriminate anybody, but think about this for a minute. If your denomination is real big on how to baptize. You're not saying we're unifying with those that don't do it the same way. You're dividing from them by statement of faith. Now, I'm not telling you what to think. Does that please God? Does that work towards unity of the body? See, it's so simple, anybody can figure it out, except we're 2,000 years into this and people aren't figuring it out. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? Why do people still tolerate it? Because we sit under people and don't study for ourselves. Now, real apostles say, you sit under me, but you study yourself. You test what I'm teaching. That's what real teachers say. You test it yourself. Right? Okay. And these people do sometimes also because they know nobody's doing it. (laughs) So it's okay for them. They don't get caught. (laughs) Right? Amen? So, I mean, if you think about it. But... Continuing along those lines, any, any division is a denomination. Any denomination is a division. I don't care what you, what you say. I mean, it's defined in the English language. A denomination, if you read it, one of them says a division thereof. Denominations of money are divisions thereof. There are dollar bills. There are 20s. There are 25-cent pieces. They are divisions of a whole. They are parts. I'm telling you, Jesus warned us about this. He said, a house that's denominationalized or divided cannot stand. And we keep wanting to, and, and what are we doing as Christians, folks? We keep, we keep walking on down that road, denying it the whole way, denying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, denying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and His Father, denying their words denying their words. We're Christians. Well, it says, you, it says you're divided. You got problems. We don't have problems. We're Christians. Denying their words. Denying their words. I'll say it like Jude said it. Denying the Lord and Savior that bought us. Deniers. 
Well, I'm still saved. Yeah, maybe, but you're not set correctly. And you can't stand. Oh, we stand just fine. No, you don't. You call me a liar? No, Scripture is. Sorry. I'm just pointing it out. Denying and denying and denying. And we've all got it in us now. <laughs> you know, so we're not saying somebody's more, if you will, criminal than somebody else, right? And so, but, but the point is, this denial blocks manifestation of God's power on the earth. So this is huge. It's sitting a little personal tick you got going on, you know, you don't want to deal with. This affects the body. This affects why somebody that's an agnostic looks at the world and says, well, if the church and the Bible and God himself has all the answers, how come I don't see anything getting any better? Because the church denies organization. Because what would it mean what would it mean if, if we had to organize? Really, I mean, what would it mean? It means there has to be leadership. And what does that mean? If you're not one of the leaders, you got to obey. And even if you are a leader and there's somebody with, according to Scripture, a higher level of anointing, a higher office, you got to obey. And you guys know in America, every church is a one-size-fits-all church. There's not any leadership among leaders, right? Every church can do everything. Am I right? Except Scripture doesn't say that. How messed up can it get? Oh, it can get pretty bad. It can get pretty bad. <laughs> By the way... Um, you heard, and again, not to incriminate anybody, but we have tidbits of revelation we need to disseminate to people. So somebody's probably listening that's been fooled by this, so I just want to say this. All right, you hear these arguments. Well, the King James is the only version of the Bible that's any good. You know, it's the only translation that's any good, right? And then you hear somebody else, well, no, the NASB is the only translation that's really, it's really based on the Greek, right? And, you know, or the King James is the original, you know, you've heard some of this. Guys, you don't know how ridiculous that is? Honestly? I'm not saying we shouldn't seek for our best translation. I'm not stupid. Right? But it never says anywhere in the Bible that the church is going to be brought to unity through the best translation. So why are people looking for it? They're looking for unity based on the best. Well, you know, if we just read the right one, we'll all get the same thing. If that were true, God wouldn't have said apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers will bring us to unity. He would have said, the right book, if you just read it, will bring you to unity. Again, can't be overstated. We're 2,000 years in, and this kind of childish ridiculousness is still at the forefront with a lot of leaders I say that with in the body of Christ. You know I'm telling the truth too. How come in somebody I, I, I thank you. How, how come how come 
How come some, you know, well, if one person at some little church could figure that out, then why wouldn't all the body of Christ be able to figure that out? Why is it just a few people? I hear somebody asking that somewhere. I don't know if you're, I, can, I can't explain it to you. I can't explain it to you right now. It's very simple, actually. You're actually not, you're not fighting the point I'm making. You're actually making my point for me. The fact that you don't understand it and you've never heard it means that apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers exist. And it doesn't matter where they are or where they exist. What matters is what God put in them. That's why they're saying it and you've never heard it because you've never been around one. So, And it has nothing to do with the person. It has to do with the choice of God. It has nothing to do with the person. It has to do with the choice of God. That's it. That's what he does. That's what he does. It was nothing to do with Apostle Paul. It was God's choice. He knew he wrote his life out and what he wanted him to be before he ever came into being. And yours and mine and everybody else's. Why does it bother that person, though, that somebody could have something they don't have? That they might have to get something from God's ministry through a person instead of directly from God. Come on, be honest with me. Why does it bother them? Is carnality. It's carnality. We call it jealousy. That's why they were really offended by Christ. Can you hear me? That's what about Jesus offended the priests. Exactly. Who do you think you are? Who gave you this information that we don't have? Where did you get this ability? You understand it's all jealousy and offense. It's all jealousy and offense. The Bible doesn't call it jealousy. The Bible calls it carnality, licentiousness, lewdness, sensualness. It all and, and, and people that don't understand, every time they read it, think it talks about sexual immorality. It doesn't. Sexual immorality is a branch of carnality. It's the flesh. But it's not the prime one. The prime one is not wanting to be under authority. And we know that's the prime one because that's the one they fell for in the garden. So why wouldn't we just use the context of it that it has been all, all the way through and we explain it instead of making it something else? If we did, we'd probably understand it, right? So I wanted to take you to this place today because we don't have a lot of time. And show you how important it is. And how hard it is to see, too. Would you go to Jude 1? Jude 1. And you're going to need to test this. I would suggest. <laughs> Better. Better? Better. All right. Uh, let's see. I'm going to write some names. I hope they don't distract you, but I need to go ahead and write them so I don't have to write them in a minute, okay? Me and my squeaky pen are together again. <laughs> yep, we like each other. Y'all, it's the only one with a wide enough end, so please don't hold it against me. All right? You there? Yes, sir. All right. I know you're there. You probably had to study this. Okay. Let's see. You're in Jude 1, right? 
Nobody's in Jude 3, are you? There's no Jude 3. I'm, I'm just, there's no Jude 2 either. <laughs> it's just Jude. You don't even have to say Jude 1, right? When you say Jude 2, you're actually saying Jude 1, 2, because there is no 2, 2. All right. That's kind of like saying you need, all right, hey, just so you know, that's kind of like saying you need a lower radiator hose for a Volkswagen Beetle, right? They're air-cooled. They don't have water. They don't need a hose. All right, same kind of thing. All right. That was the joke in the parts business back in the day. You know, you call the new parts person and say, "Hey, I need a, I need a, I need a radiator hose for a Volt 74 Super B." Hear them feverishly on the phone, going, flipping through the pages, you know, trying to find it. And you know, they can't find it. It's not in there. They're not going to find it. There's not one on the car, right? All right. Same way with Jude. Then, okay. So, yeah. Sometimes it gets so tense, you have to do something. You know what I mean? Just every now and then. So, um. Right? Let's see where we want to be. Hmm. Look at verse 11, if you will, okay? Jude 1, 11. Now, I want to, when you're in 11, I want to make a few points. And this is what it says. Jude says, I was going to write to you about our common faith. Unity of the faith. Everybody believed in tongues. Everybody got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Everybody believed in healing. Everybody, it was a common faith. We've kind of broken up, fractured since then. But I was going to write to you about that. But what I decided was it's more important to, you, to write to you about what's going to happen. All right, this is what he says. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who were long ago marked. In other words, it was known. They're... They turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. Our, our, our only Lord God and our Savior Jesus Christ. They turn it into lewdness. When people read it, what they think is that they take the grace of God and turn it into sexual immorality. A license for sexual immorality. I'm going to suggest to you that's not what this means. And contextually, we're going to prove it. Okay? Because... Lewdness in and of itself doesn't have any, it doesn't necessarily have to mean sexual immorality. Lewdness just means with no boundaries, willing to go as far as it takes, not, not scared of, of going too far, right? Carnally, carnally. And so it, 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 on, on down a little bit later, it says these dreamers, they defile the flesh, they reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries, Okay. Some of your Bibles in verse 8 there are going to say they, they, they speak evil of angelic dignities or angelic glories. I want to stop you there. I just want to let you know nothing in that passage has anything to do with being angelic. The reason the translator felt the need to put angelic glories or, or digni dignities or whatever is because the next verse references what angels do. They drew the one into the other because they didn't have understanding. I'm just being honest. It, it, there's nothing there that says anything about angelic. But to the writer, Jude, to make his case, uses the angels. So they automatically mean that the dignitaries must be angelic. They automatically thought that, the translators, which is incorrect. Okay, they didn't understand. Because how many of you know that to be a translator of the ancient text, you had to be smart in language? Right? Well, then how many of you know being smart in language doesn't mean anything in terms of Scripture? What does? 
being revelatory in the things of God. So you understand why our Bibles a lot of times, but I'm, I'm making my case again, you understand, that the translation is not going to make the difference. It's going to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher that brings us to unity and understanding of the faith. Does that make sense? And I remember when I used to hear people do this, I said, who do you think you are being able to change what the translator, I didn't have a clue that the translators were just smart people. They weren't necessarily godly people. They certainly weren't necessarily an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. And when I learned that, I, I, I understood, wow, I can almost guarantee then that a lot of their views, if they brought them in on their own, could be taking us in a totally wrong direction. And you've you got to understand the original church people understood this. That's why we always say, if you've ever heard people say it, that we believe in the inspiration of the Scripture and its inerrancy. That means it doesn't have any errors. But then we add, in the original text, but not in the translated texts. And the reason is they originally knew that scholars did this, not necessarily apostles and prophets, not necessarily people that God revealed his, his things to, right? Okay, I want to make sure. Right. So these dreamers, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. Now, the example is, yet Michael the archangel, when he was contending with the devil, who, guess what, was a fallen archangel. Okay, you with me? You with me? All right. So when he was contending with him over the body of Moses, he did not bring a reveling or a reviling accusation against the devil, but instead he said, said, the Lord rebuke you. Now that sounds weird and out of place. So here's what we're saying. He's setting the stage for where we're going. Understand when people are reviling something that a Christian believes, they're never with God. This is his example. When, when You got to know Michael was right. God sent him and said, get the body of Moses for me. Satan was trying to resist him. He didn't say, you sorry, no good, what I, not, I, you sinned from the very beginning and you not. He just stood there and said, that's mine. The Lord rebuke you. You understand the authority structure? It was not Michael's job to revile Satan, so he didn't do it. He knew his place, and guess what he did? He stayed in it. <laughs> it's the same way in the church. We got to teach people to find their place and stay in it. That's how they stay good. The devil didn't stay in his place, and that's what brought all this upon him. The angels that fell... They didn't stay in their place. This is not taught as powerfully maybe throughout churches as it ought to be, but this is what it's based on. Amen? And that's why some of your Bibles say angelic dignitaries because they pull the example back up instead of leaving it like the text actually says it and then taking the example as an example. Right? Okay. So, um, so the stage is now set to understand that when we hear people reveling or reviling, reviling, sorry, when we hear them doing it, we know it's not really God. All right. All right. So 
these kind of people, he says, these men that have, that have crept in, that are, I, I want to I give you a definition. When I, when I said this a while ago, they turned the grace of our God into lewdness. Without revelation, what you think is they, they, they take the grace that's given, the freedom that's in the gospel, and turn it into sensuality. But I'm going to show you in a minute, that's not according to context. Yes, that's what we think because we're fallen people. We tend to think in terms of lewdness being that, right? And that's what most of your commentaries on this verse are going to tell you. But I, and So I'm sharing that with you up front when you test it. But I want you to hear this also. Grace of God. It hinges on what the grace of God is. And contextually, this grace of God is not the overall saving grace of God. Remember what did Apostle Paul said? He said in Romans 12, he said, By the something given to me, by the grace given to me, for you. He said that in Ephesians 3, but in Romans 12, he said, By the grace given to me, I say to you. What was he saying? What grace was given to him? He's talking about by the salvation given to me, I say to you? No, he was saying the grace given him as an apostle. Because I'm an authority that's given the right to tell you what God means, and he uses me for that purpose, I'm speaking to you, so listen. That's what he says. This is the grace being mentioned here, which she brought out in Ephesians 3 where he says, many of you might have heard of the grace given to me on your behalf. Again, he's not saying I got saved on your behalf. He's saying, I was called to be an apostle and a teacher and an evangelist on your behalf so that you could then come to know the same things God's shown me. Now, if you read it like that, if you read it understanding that's the type of grace, right? They turn the grace of our God into lewdness. Lewdness means being led by desire, They turn the grace of God, in other words, needing the grace of God to hold an office, into something that can be held by desire instead. And when they do that, they deny our only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They deny the will of God in Jesus Christ and do it themselves out of their own desire. And contextually, we're going to prove it, okay? And why are we saying all this? Because a lot of people are being led by this. Okay? So let's now go down where I asked originally in verse 11. Woe to these people. That's pretty strong. That's what it says in Revelation. Woe to them. Right? Uh, I need to do verse 10 too. Thank you, Lord. These people speak evil of whatever they don't know. You remember me making a big deal about they bring reviling accusation? They speak evil about anything they don't know. I'm going to give you some examples. You ready? That speaking in tongues is of the devil, man, and folks are crazy. That's an example of reveling. That is an example of speaking evil of the things they don't know. The angel Michael wouldn't have done that. He would have said, I don't understand it, but it's part of the church. I'm staying in my lane. See my point? That person in church is teaching something I don't understand. That's false teaching. That's reveling. No leader is going to be doing that kind of stuff. 
Been saying that for years. No real leader called to the fivefold office that's got a revelation of who they are is going to be spending time doing that stuff. They're going to be pointing out the good in all of it and bringing to unity. Been saying it for years. Still saying it. But you still got people that are happy in their divisions. They're happy pointing out that because they don't understand what somebody's teaching, it's got to be false. These are the people you know for a fact either don't understand or do understand and don't care that they are not fivefold leaders because they're not trying to bring his body, not theirs, his body to the unity of his faith. There's a weight in that that should scare some people, but it doesn't. That, by the way, is the definition of lewdness and licentiousness. You boil it down to its root, they don't feel the weight of any kind of restriction. When you're lewd, you'll do something indecent in front of a child. You don't feel the weight of any kind of restriction. Can you hear me? And it happens spiritually too. There's spiritual lewdness. People are not scared of God. They're not scared of the judgment of God, right? It doesn't bother them. They run right through those signs, those warning signs. Okay. You guys, if you have questions, let me know. I mean, you know, we're just... So, having now hit that, so we know what we're saying, look what it says, verse 10. These people speak evil of whatever they don't know and whatever they know naturally. In other words, he makes it clear it's not spiritual things carnal things, whatever they know naturally, just like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Their ministry is primarily of desire. It's carnal. It's fleshly. It's of desire. can't tell you the number of times growing up I'd hear somebody say, well, you know, I really love Jesus. I want to go preach. I used to think that was noble. Now I realize it's ungodly. That's totally out of their own desire. That's the wrong reason to go do anything from God out of your own desire. You need to be led by the Spirit that lives in you. Oh, you think so? You think it's that serious? Anything that's not of faith is sin, saith Apostle Paul. Anything that's not of faith is of sin. Faith cometh by hearing that don't come from God, and you're doing it. be a problem right now that's not to say you're not to pray for your neighbor you're not to tell your neighbor about Christ because you have been told that from God you heard that in scripture you understand not everything has to be the voice of God or the or the still small voice you have scripture that also speaking right so I don't want to lead anybody astray and make them think, oh, I've got to be sitting still in my room and hear God tell me to do. No, that's what Scripture's for. We can follow Scripture without an additional word, right? That's the point of Scripture. Okay. So um, anyway, of these people in verse 11, he says, Woe to them, they've gone the way of Cain. All right, here's your context. Because many people took it upon themselves to assume this was sexual immorality. Oh, these, these false teachers lead people to commit sex with all these people and do all this stuff and I don't know. Yeah, but that's not the context of the story. So we should always go by context. If, if the man's going to put three examples in here, those are our examples. Amen? Amen. 
We don't need to come up with any more on our own. That's what's wrong with the church now. We keep coming up with our own examples that don't really match up with the true case. So we're out here. i give you an example. One of our comments on one of our Facebook posts. We're talking about this very subject. We said we're a body. We all have to stay together. And we're teaching this. And this dude puts on there, and I got nothing against this guy. He just doesn't understand. He's like 90-something percent of Christians, right? And he says, well, that's not exactly true. You know, all the trees have to, it's like in a forest. All the trees have to be green on their own. Here's the problem with that. Number one, you go to their Facebook page, and they don't name their credentials. They don't say they're saved. They don't say they're a deacon or an evangelist or a teacher. So first of all, why would I listen to them? If they haven't been called by God, what are they talking about? Why should I listen? There's no warranty with what they're saying. The warranty is God. It ain't me. It's not because I think so. Right? Amen. Second part, and this is the biggest problem. They don't use the thing that's given in the Bible. They make their own analysis. If God had wanted it to be, we're all like trees in the same forest, he would have used that example, but he didn't. Why then do we find somebody using a different example so that it fits with what they think instead of using the example given, even though it may not fit with what they want? Because they are these people. They are led by carnal desire, what they really want it to be, Instead of what it really is. And that would be problematic. So you change the example from a body where everything takes from the same blood and every cell is linked together. And if one cell has cancer, they all basically do. And they're all basically subject to the end result. Amen? And you change the example and say, no, it's really like a forest where every tree's out there together, but they're all on their own. Yeah, that sounds great, beautiful. It fits what you want it to be, except it's not what God's, it's not what he's saying. But that person is the one trying to lead everybody astray. They don't even realize it. They don't even realize it. They don't know they're being a problem. Probably being judged in some area of their life and can't figure out why. Well, you know what they need? They need a pastor. They need to quit trying to be the pastor and they need somebody to shepherd them because they're messed up. Nobody says that in church, I know. Jesus said it though. Jesus looked at folks and said, man, these, these cats are like sheep without a shepherd. We, somebody need to get in here. You know? All right, so look at this with me because this is our context, right? It says what? Somebody read, we're, we're, we're verse 11. They've gone in the way. The way of Cain. I want to talk to you guys. What's the way of Cain? Cain killed his brother. All right? What's his way, though? He was jealous. Is that really what he was? I mean, yeah, that's what he was. We already said it's based on jealousy so many times, right? But I want to take you somewhere. Because there's something contextually in the story of Cain and Abel that doesn't really fit. And it's got to be there for a reason. Because you, you, don't, you don't generally give just, just information that doesn't apply when you're trying to take somebody somewhere. And there's an interesting part in the story of Cain and Abel that, that's there for perspective. It's there to give perspective. 
The thing that's given is not the fact that they're brothers. It's not the fact that they both talk to God. It's not, you know, basically, it's, it's none of that. The thing that's given is all of a sudden in the middle of this, you're told what they do for a living. Isn't that odd? They're brothers. Who cares what they do for a living? They both talk to God. Who cares what they do for a living? One murdered the other. Who cares what they do for a living? Why then are we given what they do for a living? Because it's important what they do for a living. It's very important. Well, what, is, what does Cain do? He's a tiller of the ground, right? And we have to understand that during that time, the vast majority of people, vast majority of people w- would be, okay? All right, so Cain, right? Well, I'm going to put Abel right here. What was his occupation? Yeah, he's a shepherd. All right. Now, he's a shepherd. John 10, 10. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm the good. I'm the good shepherd. Right? And what was the word many times that was spoken of in the Old Testament of the prophets and the priests? They were the Shepherds, right? And then what's one of the fivefold offices? The Greek word is poimen. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd. Starting to understand why it was important what their occupations were? You starting to understand why? One worked in the secular world. The other worked for God in the spiritual world. It's the only way, it's all, it's the only way these, these three examples are going to be drawn together. I'm going to prove this to you in just a minute. I know you may not have heard this. You may have. I don't know. I hope you have. The shepherd was minding his own business, doing his job well. The other guy was jealous of the blessing on the shepherd, and he thought it was about the shepherding, so he killed him. Had nothing to do with it. He could, and, and God even told Cain. He even told him, folks. He even said, "Look, it has nothing to do with what he does for a living. If you do well, won't you be blessed?" It doesn't matter in terms of monetary things, physical thing, or even blessing. That one works in a different way than the other. But so many times people think it does. And they get jealous of the office and they say, oh, well, the pastor doesn't really work. They got a pie job. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Authority. What does it say? They despise authority. Why? Because they defile the flesh. It ought to be about the flesh. And the whole time they're doing that, they're defiling their own flesh. They're bringing judgment upon their bodies the whole time. I see heads nodding because the Holy Ghost is testifying in here right now to some people. All right, so that's your first one. What about this second guy? You remember anything about Balaam? Balaam's in Numbers, what, chapters 22 through like 24-ish to 25, I think. And it's so spread out there. I mean, it's somewhere in there, right? And so what's the thing with Balaam? Balaam was a prophet for hire. 
He would prophesy whatever you needed him to prophesy. So Balak, Balak, King Balak said, hey, man, these Israelites growing up, they're blessed. Again, jealous of God's people. Right? I need you, I'm going to call that prophet. I need you to curse these folks. Well, guys, Balaam was a false prophet. He didn't really know God. He told everybody he did. When you read chapters 22 and 23, you get the idea he's been talking to God for a long time. Y'all, it shocked him just as much when real God spoke to him as it, as it would you. I'm not kidding. And it shocked him to the core. And he said, man, I realize God don't want these people cursed. I'm kind of in a mess here, you know. And he was playing pastor. He was playing apostle. And then all of a sudden, he said, I'm going to reach out and talk to God. I'm going to get these people cursed for you. And real God spoke and said, you're not going to curse those people. And he was like, because see, now don't get me wrong. He was spiritual. He could prophesy. He could give you a word. It was just by false spirits. See, there's a lot of people in the church. They'll get you over in the corner and give you a word. They'll tell you what you did last Wednesday. But it was by that unclean spirit that walks with you. Not by the Holy Ghost. But it blows people's minds and they go following after somebody just because they gave them a word. You'll notice that's why in 1 Corinthians 12 it says first apostles, second prophets, third evangelists and on down the line and way down is tongues and all that kind of stuff. And yet what do people do? Somebody will work a miracle and they'll follow them to kingdom come. Won't sit there in front of their pastor. Won't sit there with the apostle because they don't know the order of the anointings. So many people. Is it going to be somebody there doing signs at the meeting? I'll go. If it's just going to be preaching, I don't want nothing to do with it. They don't understand the orders of the church, so they get led astray after false spirits, unclean spirits. It's all written right there. I mean, seriously, it's not, it's not hard. First it, Corinthians 12, 28, right? right. It's right there. <laughs> and yet, 2,000 years in, it's still happening. Right. So, interesting thing about Balaam, he would curse anybody for a dollar. He was a preacher for money. He didn't really know God. He knew spirits, but he knew spiritual stuff, right? That's the interesting thing. So, what does it say? They ran, or excuse me, they've gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the error of Balaam, thinking that it's okay. There's no real God, and it's okay to prophesy for money, Right? Now, look at the last one. They perished in the rebellion of Korah. I don't know how many people are really familiar with that one. Is that in Numbers 18? I think I wrote it. I don't know which, even, which number I'm even on. So, I think it's Numbers 18. It's somewhere right in there, y'all. 16, sorry. <clears throat> yeah, number 16. Now, Korah, the son of Ishar... Um, and on down the line, the one I want you to notice there is in 16.1. It says, Korah is the son of this one, that one, and the son of Levi. Levi. And, 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 and the, all the priests were of the tribe of Levi. Okay, so you've got to know that to know why it's important about Korah. You only get half the story if you know the story of Korah, but you don't know he was a Levite. Okay. Because that makes the story so much more understandable and powerful, right? Korah got mad. And what it says is, um, 
Korah and a bunch of his men rose up against Moses and they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, the leaders, God's chosen leaders, right? Okay. And said to them, you take too much upon yourselves and all the congregation is holy. Every one of them. What are they saying? You take too much upon yourselves, pastor, apostle, prophet. You think too much of yourself. The whole congregation is holy. What are they saying? We're all the same. You're not special. Right? Okay. First of all, did Moses take anything upon himself? No, he really didn't want to. He'd have rather gone out and had a secular job and made money and not had to apologize for it. <laughs> right? But instead, here we are, right? Here's the point. Verse 9. Look what Moses tells them. He says, is it a small thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you to bring, him, to bring you near himself to do the work of God? In other words, let me, let me show you what it means. They saw their, their lot from God as small. They were jealous of Moses and Aaron. Because they weren't in the position of Moses and Aaron, their argument was, hey, we're all holy, and we are, but we don't all have the same job. Right? But their argument was, we're all holy. We can all do what you do. Moses says, your problem is, you think what God gave you is small. Moses exposed them. You're jealous because you think your job is less than this job. Right? So what'd they do? They were going to stand and, 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 and do sacrifices and hold the censers of fire just like the priest. Except when they did, what happened? God judged them, and the earth opened up and devoured them in front of everybody. Right? So what was God showing us? Now, this is what I want you to understand. It's not enough to think that they were just Christians and they wanted to be an apostle or a prophet or whatever it is, an evangelist, right? You have to understand, Aaron was a Levite. And so was Korah. So in the natural, in bloodline, they were the same. Now you're going to find this in Christianity. You'll find many, many people who don't really recognize pastors, don't recognize evangelists. They recognize just, if you want to do it, do it, man. If you want to preach, preach. If you want to go, go. You haven't seen people like this? I've been, my life's been inundated with these type of people. We're going to start churches and we're going to do this and we're going to do it. And, and now that I've learned something about God, I always step back and go, all right, who got the word from God? I mean, where's this coming from? What signs and wonders has he done to, like, initiate this for you? I mean, what grace is upon your life that an average person doesn't have so that we can see that God's doing this and not just your desire? And so many times there is none in all three things, right? Which means probably not God. It's probably just they want to. And a lot of times it's not a bad want to. They've had an experience with Jesus Christ, and they just want to go do something. But I, I want to remind you, even that's not okay. Y you know what Jesus said about that? Honest and truly, you know what he said about that? There were people that wanted to go out and make a difference, and it wasn't their call. You know what he told them? 
He said, I want you to pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers. Do you understand the power, the power in that statement? Could he not just as easily have said, the fields are white. If you want to, get out there and go do it. That's what people believe. That's what they hear because we have our own idea of Christianity. We have a carnal idea of Christianity in almost every regard. Right? Amen? What did Jesus actually say? Instead of you going, how about you get to praying and pray God will send workers into his harvest? The ones that he equips, right. And you may end up being one of them. But when you're sent, you'll be legitimate. When it's your desire, you're not legitimate at all. He's not even going to recognize you. All right, so what ties these guys together? All right, Korah, he got mad because he wasn't allowed to do sacrifices, different things. He said, look, I'm just as holy as you are. I'm just as righteous before God as you are. And that, that was true up to the point where he started talking like that, right? And, but the point is, all of that's true except for we don't all have the same function. So if we don't recognize the difference in functions, what does that mean? The church can't be an organization because there's nobody to organize it. Because somebody has to stand in authority and organize things, and other people have to submit to authority and agree to the organization. And if, we, or if we're all messed up, there's no organization. And where are the gifts and everything going to be? And when Satan comes, who's going to be the one to say, this is what we ought to do? There won't be any of that. Because there's going to be 10,000 different people saying, no, this is it. And that's where we are. And it's on our denominations out front. We're the ones that stand for this. We're the ones that stand for this. We don't deal with them. They're wrong. Blah, blah, blah. So if you were looking contextually, if you want to know it doesn't have anything to do with sexual immorality, it actually has to do with covetous men wanting the office that's not given to them and not being willing to submit to the ones that are given to others and even offices in that hierarchy that are not willing to submit to the other office, which is a whole different thing, and yet very true also. This is where you'd find it. What connects your contacts? First, I would say, when you've read a commentary, it points you towards sexual immorality, speaking of lewdness and everything, which in any of the three contextual analyses that are given, give me my situation of sexual immorality. With Cain, with Balaam, with Korah. None. It's not there. So why do theologians make one? Because they don't understand. Why do they not understand? Because they're, the, they're not one of those five-fold, or they're not one of the higher ones that do understand. It hasn't been given to them to understand because it's given to the five-fold to bring the rest to unity. It's making our point for us. We as a church have been led by people that weren't fivefold and didn't understand it. I'm not talking about we. I'm talking about we. <laughs> so what does let's just let's just end it up here. I mean, what's the connection then? Uh, they weren't all greedy, or if they were, they were greedy. They weren't all greedy of the same thing. 
So what's the connection then? Shepherd. Prophet. Um, priest. What's the connection? Every one of them has something to do with leadership. You, can't, you really can't miss this if you just analyze it. Every one of them has something to do with leadership on behalf of God. The shepherd not being a tiller of the ground. Right? They're, they're both the same. Both of them were holy before God. Both of them could talk to God. Both of them, he said, could be blessed just as much as the other. Balaam. He was a false prophet. But what was the point? He was pretending to be a real prophet. That's what Jude's talking about, isn't it? You can find this same passage in 2 Peter 2. Word for word. The only difference is that Peter says, just as there were false prophets under the Old Testament, there'll be false teachers among you. False teachers. What does that mean? Not sent by God. Sent by themselves. Right. Same thing with Korah. He wanted to, he said, look, I'm just as holy as you, Moses. I can do sacrifices just like you. If you don't believe this always exists, what undid, what undid Saul and seated, and seated David? Saul wouldn't wait on Samuel. Saul said, I'm holy just like Samuel. Samuel's running late. I can do it. All right, I'm, I'm, let me turn that into today's church. I've really, I've really decided there's a need for a church over here, so I'm going to start a church. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I've decided that we're going to go on a missions trip. We're going to become missionaries. We just really feel like that we just love Jesus and we want to see the Word of God spread. <sighs> Woo, it's a thin line, but I'm telling you the Bible details it time after time. After time, after time, after time. What's the difference? The difference is God sends one and the other sends themselves. It's the only difference. This whole thing is based on that difference, folks. And, and, and as, you're, as you're beginning to understand this, think of all the mess-ups that are empowered by the carnality of men as you start to... Because how many... People go to seminary because they want to or because Aunt Bessie says she'll pay for the whole thing because they'll make a good preacher. And who at the seminary checks them, honestly, for the signs or wonders or the grace given by God to say they fit the office as opposed to saying, yeah, they completed the course of study. They're good. Hmm? One's a commendation of man. Paul talks about that very specifically. He says, do we need letters from you or to you so we can come preach to you? What's he talking about? So if you don't believe me, now I have to say this real quick. 2 Corinthians 2.17. Because this is going to blow some people's minds. They may not be in this room, but we've got we to solidify this. I know we're running over, but we're just going to have to go right now. If you need to leave, please feel welcome to. It won't hurt my feelings. Okay. 
2 Corinthians 2.17. I said it, but I want to make sure we got it. I want you to see what Apostle says here. We, he's talking about he and his what? Paul and his what? Paul and his what? Organization. Do you understand Paul has a ministry organization? I want to ask you a real couple of quick questions while we're along this line so maybe we can be done with this. You ready? Who decides how much Paul makes? Who's going to fire Paul? Thank you. What happens in most churches today? You don't have to answer. I'm just pointing you to these facts, okay? Yeah. So think about this because whoever decides these things is who can fire and hire, and they hold a lot of power over the message coming out of that messenger's mouth. That should have been obvious for the last 2,000 years too. Okay? But anyway. So 217. This is what Apostle says. He says, we, me and my organization. What's his organization? Read about it in 1 Timothy. It's like nine different people that work for Paul that he sends here and he sends there. What did he tell Titus? He said, I sent you there. Why did he send him to a church? He said, I sent you there to set in order the things that remain and appoint elders and deacons. I sent you. What does that mean? Paul's in authority. Timothy's under that authority. Amen? That's an organization, brothers and sisters. Not talking about an individual church. Talking about an organization in the church on the earth. Amen? It makes sense? And what are those people at that church supposed to do? They're supposed to submit to Timothy, who submitted to Paul, who submitted to Christ. Yeah, sound familiar? I ain't going to follow no man. I just don't follow a man. I only listen to Jesus. Oh, so you're an apostle then. Wow, I didn't realize it. I didn't see any of the marks of an apostle in your life. You got that right. You got that right. What is that? That's one of those people that doesn't understand. Yeah. That what? Despise authority. And speak evil of the things they don't understand. There ain't no more apostles anymore. That's just There's no such thing as prophets for today. They exist until we all come to the unity of the faith. Until we all come to the unity of the faith. To the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Right? Look at what Paul says here. Just, so, just for the person who says that I'm not telling the truth. That Jesus is not telling the truth through me. It's what Paul knew. You ready? For we, he and his people in his organization, are not as so many. Can you hear me? I'm not talking about two or three people. Paul says in his day, there were so many who are doing what? Peddling the word of God. We are not as so many just peddling the word of God out of desire, out of carnal desire. But instead, but as of sincerity, and then he gets even stronger with it so you can hear him, but as of God, sent with a purpose from God. 
Not peddling as somebody who just had an experience with Jesus and decided to go preach on the corner or decided to do this or decided to do that. But as from God, as sent, the problem Jude was addressing is the problem in the church that denies you cannot hold office unless it's the will of God. If it's the desire of man, it's false. If it's the desire of man, it's false. It doesn't mean that once it's revealed to you, you can't get in line with it and desire it, okay? But if it's of the desire of man, it is false. It doesn't matter if you build a 42,000-person church. You have to trace it back to the origin, who found it, founded it, why did it come from God or was it just a great idea of 42 business investors? And I don't know of anything like that. I'm just making that up. Okay. Not, again, not trying to incriminate anybody. Does it make sense? Because ultimately what Jude said, and, and again, the King James used to say this, and, and the people, the translators, have gotten weaker and weaker and weaker, and they have less revelation, in my opinion. It's just an opinion. But they've changed it. And this is what it used to say. Now, in verse 19 of Jude, it says, These people that do all these things are sensual. Again, it makes you think of sexual immorality. They should have put carnal, same word. But they're mistaken on the whole thing because they didn't like the three contextual examples that are given and put them together. But... These people are carnal, fleshly persons. And it says they cause divisions not having the Spirit. The whole thing is about church leadership. How can you have church leaders who don't have the Spirit? They don't have the grace given to be leaders. They're doing it as they desire. Now look, they think they're right. They're trying to do what's good. It's not our job to go beat them up. But somebody's got to show them the truth and the church the truth so we can get in line and follow those people that God has given real answers to. Amen? Because I know there's a bunch of them out there and they don't have a voice because I can tell you if Satan's going to help one or the other, he's going to help the ones that are not really of God. The world will help them, but the world is not going to help what's true. Amen? You know that to be true. So it goes on to say, now I want to, I want to translate this for you. It says, they are essential persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. Now the original King James says, these be, um, well I can't, I'm not looking at it, but it says something to the effect of these be sensual um, who separate themselves not having the Spirit. It's a very important translation, I think, by the Spirit because to separate yourself means you call yourself. What the Holy Spirit said to the church when he activated Paul and Barnabas to apostleship was this. Separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work I have to them. Have for them. These be they that separate themselves. They're not, God's not doing the work, the call, the sending, the anointing, the gracing with the office. They're just taking it upon themselves. Guys, there's so many good ministers, elders, deacons and other workers that are that are doing these things themselves i'm not here to incriminate them 
And I would never even, folks, I wouldn't be preaching this if God hadn't showed this to me. So obviously I have a right to preach it. Because most people never would have known this, having read it a hundred times. I'm just being straight up with you. So whatever you get from God, you got to go with it, right? But having heard it, we need to align ourselves with truth. And I know that we all listen to different ministries and read books by different people. We need to begin to figure out who they are, what their qualifications are, spiritually, spiritually. So that what we know what we're getting, are we getting what an evangelist should be giving? Are we getting what a prophet should be giving? Are we getting what a teacher should be giving? And we can begin to see these things for what they really, really are. Because if people knew what a prophet should be getting, nobody, this guy wouldn't have had a job. <laughs> you understand? 